Hello everyone, welcome to episode number 5050 of Starting to Know Business Podcast with your host and your friend Ishu Singh. If you are listening to this podcast for the very first time, you're going to learn a ton about business. This podcast is all about business and with every episode there is immense value that the guests are bringing. So keep on listening to this podcast if you want to be successful. And if you're already successful, if you want to see more success in your life and your business, keep on listening to this podcast episode and you're going to learn a ton. I promise. This episode is going to be about mergers and acquisitions. If you want to learn more about it, keep on listening. Of course, you want to learn more about it. You should learn more about it because this is going to help you. Maybe not now, maybe down the path, like maybe after six months, one year, two years. This is going to really help you a lot because I have a special guest who's going to deliver us that knowledge that you need in order to become successful, more successful. For the repeat listener who are listening to this podcast for the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, endless times, or 50th time, thank you so much for sticking to this podcast and making this podcast a huge success. If you haven't got a chance, go to startingtoknow.com, startingtoknow.com, learn more about many business-related topics, in-depth information, not superficial. If you want to learn more about me personally, go to issuesing.com, I-S-H-U-S-I-N-G-H, issuesing.com, and you can learn more about me there. And you can get in touch with me there as well. If you have any questions, any queries, you want ha- you have some suggestions, you want me to do something specifically for these podcasts, let me know there. After doing 49 podcast episodes, I realized that I should deliver some extra value packs to you like the whosoever is listening to this podcast right now you deserve more and I thought of delivering you in a way that I'm gonna pick a topic like of course uh, if this podcast episode is about merger and acquisition I'm gonna talk more about merger and acquisition and maybe I'm gonna share the facts with you that or maybe the the white papers with you like that I might have learned or I might I might have read or listened or viewed all over the internet during my journey, during my research, so that you can get that additional value. I recently read the PwC report about merger and acquisition. This report shows the trend from quarter one of 2019 to quarter two of 2021. The deal volume actually increased from 10,000 to approximately 14,000 deals in quarter two of 2021. This is an interesting fact that I thought I should share with you about merger and acquisition. And one more interesting thing that I learned in this 2000 era, America Online Inc. and Time Warner did a merger and acquisition. It was for 164 billion US dollars. It happened in 2000. I got this stat from Statista.com. So I learned it like this is this this is a massive number, but I came to know like in 1999, there was one more deal of Vodafone, AirTouch, PLC, and Men's Man in 1999 that happened for 202 billion B billion US dollars. Now continuing this path of merger and acquisition, 
I have today's guest with me. The name of today's guest is Keyson Patel. He's the founder and CEO of Merger and Acquisition Science, m and Science. In 2012, he noticed teams lacked efficient technology to manage deals and cre- he created a deal room at that time, an m and lifecycle management platform. So he's managing both. And he was an m and advisor for 10 years in which he sold like larger companies such as commercial banks, hotel chains, you name it, he did it. And he has been featured on Business Business Insider, uh, Forbes, Investing.com, CEO World Magazine, Business.com, and many other. And now the one more name is going to get added. Of course, starting to know podcasts. <laughs> I've been holding you for a long time. So without further ado, let's talk to Keyson and learn more about merger and acquisition. That's why he's here. He wants to deliver the knowledge. He wants to deliver the value. So I thought, yeah, you should have it. You should, you deserve it. Hi, Kisan. Welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks for having me, Ishu. Yeah, my pleasure to have you here. Uh, let's start with the very first question. What is M&A Science? M&A Science is a business that is comprised of technology and educational resources for mergers and acquisitions. You know, as a company, we strive to find ways to optimize M&A for corporates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what is Deal Room? Deal Room is our one of our largest business lines that is a lifecycle management platform for mergers and acquisitions. So basically managing the whole process end to end from the sourcing components the diligence and integration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you think like the, the knowledge of course is important for like all sectors. What do you think like in terms of m science, is that that knowledge is feeding into deal room or is that a totally separate thing than deal room? That's <laughs> no, actually a really good observation. It's we, we joke about internally that m and science is our R and D for our technology the model we've evolved MA science around is podcasting where we early beginnings, I originally started the software business line and in working with a number of companies in different industry, I noticed there's this huge variance in the way organizations look and approach M and a, and that led me to this underpinning problem of the industry itself was lacking standardization is lacking the real evidence behind why people were doing what they were doing the way they did it. And that lended to this opportunity and seeing the podcast as a platform to enable practitioners to be able to share their lessons learned and which in turn, we utilize that knowledge and the transcripts of those conversations to document and extract the practices that we identified uh, around patterns or what actually has proof they work. And we've evolved that, uh, into different types of content as eBooks, blogs, but also frameworks. And we, I'm going to say about two years ago, published a book called agile M and a, which is a project management framework, very fundamentally based off of the similar commonalities of agile from software but tailored for M&A. We built it around case studies with Google and Atlassian and how they utilize agile techniques stemming from their engineering culture 
into their M&A approach with great success. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we, we find this opportunity to marry practices and technology together. And you can go yeah. get the tool, but if you don't have the practice, it's not as helpful. And if you've got the practice and you're struggling to standardize without the tools, you also got challenges. If you can get both together, working together, that's when you can drive massive amounts of, of efficiency gains and, and ultimately uh, a lot more value because you're allocating your time in a much better way. That's true. I agree with that. And for the people like, who don't know about it and haven't gone through this cycle. And I know like you have got tons of experience in this. What happens in M&A actually? Yeah, it's the companies are usually, they use the term M&A, mergers and acquisitions, but it's everything's typically an acquisition. You know, one management team is taking over the company and management team of another organization. That's mm-hmm. what typically happens. You're, you're buying an entity or you're either on the buy side or the sell side. Mm-hmm. And I know like there are different types of M&A, like which is the most common one that you have seen, like any common type? What, what we see shifting is, is the rationale for doing M&A before you would do it just to expand your market share. You know, you have this business in one market and you want to go into another market and you buy or you want to expand your business lines. Uh, now we're seeing it where organizations are using it to stay current. They're looking to acquire technologies to disrupt some of their own business lines and keep evolving their business at a pace that'll allow them to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. So for some of these large corporations, there's hundreds and thousands of these little startups around that are mm-hmm. attacking at their business and they they need to be able to respond quickly to it. And for a large organization, it's difficult to do that organically at times. And they'll find the rationale to go ahead and acquire some of this emerging technology and bring those capabilities into their organization to allow them to continue their uh, growth and value delivery to their customers. Mm-hmm. I like the perspective you say, like, yeah, those small companies are attacking their business. So <laughs> they need to protect themselves, like in any ways, like either to buy them or either like crush them with, with their new technology. Right. Yeah. So uh, the time is just buying them, you know, it's your, your fastest <laughs> way to get to market is, is buy one of those technologies and bring that capability in. For sure. For sure. Which one is the hardest, like merger or acquisition? Like both are different. And you know, there's like a fabled thing of merger. I honestly have come to the conclusion that you use the term merger for PR. Hmm. If you want to make the people sound warm and cushy that, Oh, we're merging together. But in the real world, that's not what happens. There's only one real CEO after that deal's done. And that's called an acquisition. It's a company that's taking control of another business entity. It gets folded in. Maybe some shares were exchanged and you know the compensation was through stock, but it's still an acquisition. Somebody's taking control. There is a change of control. And that merger, in a sense, isn't really a thing. Um, you know, I, I, when I see it, it's almost like a fluff for PR to make it sound nice to the public. Here's two airlines. They merge. They're getting married. Like, ah. <laughs> okay. So you basically, you're saying like, it's more so of like buying, like buying something, right? Instead of like merging, it's like the powerful one buying the less powerful one kind of thing. In some ways. And the best situations or fun ones we've seen is when the <laughs> little guy buys the big guy, you know, they stack up a bunch of debt and do a real leverage buyout and, yeah, they take yeah. one of the bigger competitors out and taking some risk doing that. But most of the time, yes, it's a, it's a big company. 
buying a smaller company. They have a strategy aligned around it. They could be consolidating a market. They could um, just have some big market um, expansion into different countries. It could be just adding new product lines. Uh, so we've seen a lot of these small tech aqua hires because there's a global shortage of software engineers. So mm-hmm. why not go buy the little startup that's not going anywhere or just got the talent, but they just haven't figured out the business model yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all these different, you know, once in a while you do it so you can just kill your enemy uh, or competitor. But, you know, most of the time it's, it's you got some vision around how you're going to create value if you can bring more capabilities, you can provide more services and products to your customers and increase revenues. Um, in some of these traditional private equity acquisitions where you're just looking to uh, try to make the operations as efficient as possible, and minimize the expenses and uh, raise the, the profitability up so you can remarket the business to sell it again. Mm-hmm. And do you think like, is there like, is there something like, what is the most difficult type of like I, I want to remove the word merger. So, what is the most difficult type of acquisition, or all fits into all single bucket? What do you think? No, um, I think the most difficult one is when you need to integrate the company to get the value out of it. Mm-hmm. We're in a market right now where it's highly competitive, and you can't just buy a business on its current financials and think things are going to be fine and dandy running it as is. You're not going to get the value back for it. And this market is really competitive. You better come in with a clear view on the synergies you're going to extract out of that business. Um, that's the the big thing that needs to be in place for you to really get, get the opportunity to, to get the deal. Um, the more you need to do to create those synergies, that's what's going to make the deal more complex. Uh, so you can buy business and it's minimal things you're doing to create the value. And a lot of times this is like rollups. If you're buying like businesses and just building a big portfolio, you know, your large portfolio is trading X times EBITDA and you're buying companies for four times EBITDA. <laughs> There's pretty room play to even screw things up and still economically be doing fine. But if you're buying things as dependent on how well you integrate that product into your distribution channels, Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work, you know, sales reps, getting them up to speed to sell a new product and, and ramping that whole process up. That's a full on integration that needs to happen. And if you, if that's part of your value creation plan or your investment thesis, that's going to add a lot of complexity to it. So it really depends on how lofty um, that plan is post close and what you need to do to hit those target valuation numbers that you're anticipating on from this deal. Um, that's what really drives the complexity. And so the easy thing is to go in there, fire a bunch of people and cut costs. But in this market, you know, that's not, those times are over. It's really about thinking of, of the long game and value you're going to create. And it is going to be a, a lot of work to capture those synergies. And the bottom line is it's not the old days of buying factories and it's asset heavy. It's all people driven. So this really folds back to your capabilities around change management, how you can uh, work with people and enable them to adopt to a whole new way of working and align them around these big lofty goals that you're anticipating on to be able to achieve those synergy values uh, and, and hit your target numbers. That's that's what it boils down to. And that's where we see this big shift of going from a financial focus 
uh, M&A model to a real people-focused model and aligning people with this vision of this end state from the very beginning uh, and getting aligned around each business's unique cultures so that they understand culturally where they'll have commonalities and differences. And there may be a lot of differences where it doesn't even make sense to do this deal uh, because they're completely polar opposite, heavy top-down management versus bottoms-up management approach. And then it, it's you're going to create a lot of friction and maybe that's not going to be good. And if you can sense that early, the better. Um, but then there's there's these steps along the way where you want to ultimately have these companies collaborate together as they move more and more through the process uh, so that they can truly come together and be one organization aligned around achieving these lofty goals. Mm-hmm. Around this point, like I want to ask you, like which deal do you think like is called as a successful one, the KPI? Like so, as, as for the KPIs, like how do you decide like this deal is a successful one? It goes back to why you buy the deal. Mm-hmm. Are we buying it for a technological capability? We're trying to bridge a gap in our roadmap. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we define it by that. Like did that technology achieve the goal? Did it allow us to get to market faster with the solution? Um, was it to, you know, was sometimes we just want to double revenues and mm-hmm. we do a series of acquisition and the goal is just purely double revenues. Do we achieve that? Um, so what was the goal to, to enter this new, uh, European market? Okay. You know, that was the goal and we wanted to enter the market through an acquisition. Um, it did it meet that. So I, I, I think that the, the KPIs vary deal to deal, but it, it is one of the key things. There should be clear defined value drivers. And I, I think what I see now is a trend of corporate development teams using OKRs these objective key results to define these value drivers and allow um, that alignment to be there as they progress through the deal process and continually bring more and more people, particularly when they act act on the activities to be able to execute and uh, uh, capture the value they'll be able to look at the project plan and see how it rolls up to the OKRs and be aligned that, hey, big picture, does this make sense? Does it, we're on the same page. This is why we're buying the company. We're trying to achieve this goal um, and making sure that your teams can stay aligned on that. Mm-hmm. And but that, that uh-huh. KPIs and executing them, that's the two biggest things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. And and Keyson, like on, on the deeper side, like I want to know like how how the companies like the bigger players find those deals? Like what is the process? They, they have the separate companies looking these kind of opportunities for them or separate like organization, like separate team members within, within their company. Like how does this work? Like just want to understand the back end. Yeah. I mean, some ways if you're in-house in a corporate environment, part of corporate development team, likely, then that's part of your responsibilities. Be out fielding out, talking to the CEOs of these companies that are potential acquisition targets, networking even within your own organization, knowing the product people and those uh, business leaders to see if they may be identifying potential target acquisitions. And then working with external resources like these advisors and investment banks that'll go around and hunt and search for deals. Then also networking with the, the bankers that cover the industry that will be out taking businesses to auction block 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the auction blocks are a good viable option. You can look at those businesses. They tend to be more competitive. You're going to pay the price for winning the auction. Uh, and then the, obviously the more greater value deals are the ones that you can source yourselves through that long approach of nurturing the relationships and, and doing your own direct outreach. That's how you create your proprietary or proactive deal flow. Mm-hmm. And what kind of discussions usually happen like around this time? Do you know, like in the, in the process, like, uh, within the organizations, like how do they look at the things before, before digging deeper inside the conversation, like in their, in the company's number, trying to figure out like how much they're making and things like that. Like, what do you think, like what kind of conversations happen like on the, on the company and who's buying it? Uh, on the company on the buying side, it's a, it's a courting process. It's like dating. You're going to just go say hi to people mm-hmm. and, uh, get to know them, get to know them, to get them to know about your business. And, um, you, you know, maybe there's some imminent things where it's like, Hey, I see there's some things here that, you know, may make sense for us to look at working together. Uh, sometimes you may identify that, Hey, it's easier to start with a partnership and that mm-hmm. could be a good win-win. Uh, but you can at least do this initial introduction and see where it goes. And then as you get to know the person, you, you let them know that that's part of your business is that here's how we work with companies. When we can acquire them, there's an opportunity to generate value, just our size and scale. Uh, but we do it in a positive way. We work with the founders and here's a narrative on the way we work with companies that we acquire that allows their business to continue to grow and, and, leadership to continue to grow or have an opportunity if they choose to, to grow in our organization or have a viable exit option. Um, and then as their business is ready, right, it's hard to just like force somebody, you can wave a bunch of money at, at people. And sometimes that works. And if there's your um, rationale for the deal drives to do that, then that's a, a nice thing. And you can actually go around and wave big checks. Most of the time you're, you're trying to pay market value and not overdo it. And, uh, you know, I use that market value term loosely. Like, the value is really defined by the buyer and what they're willing to pay for it. Uh, but the the better relationship you have with that company you're looking to acquire, the better things will go. The better you can come to terms on prices and, and uh, the, the other little nuances around structuring the deal uh, in, a, in a better way and, and have that working relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And how the value of companies decided is that purely based on assets or vision, like where the company was uh, going like initially before this process, like how yeah. it is decided for the buyer, they need to really do that analysis and determine what that company is worth to them. Mm-hmm. And they got to be strategic about it too. If you got an opportunity to buy something cheap, you should be open-minded about that, mm-hmm. but then you, you should be able to, um, make sure you, you know your your bottom and highs as well and know where there's a threshold that you'd walk away from the deal and if it didn't make sense, but also know where you can be creative, do different earnouts and, and types of structuring so that you can uh, get the deal to happen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the the key parts is is figuring out that. The other part is from the seller they're going to have a lot of bankers whispering in their ear because obviously the bankers are going to be highly incentivized to take their business to market, put on the chopping block and they get a nice deal fee out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's how bankers buy their houses in the Hamptons and get a ride on private jets. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have four or five bankers whispering in their ear. Like it's going to be your company's worth this much. It's 30 million, hundred million. 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, promising some high valuations. And, and it's there's some truth to it. If you go out to a full-blown auction process, you're likely to get a high price. And, you know, you don't, maybe it's a shorter compressed timeline to see how good of a fit the buyer is. You know, playing the long run, you have this relationship comfortability and you know where the home is for your company, the people you grew with and grown to become like family and where they're going to grow. Uh, and if you're more confident in their future and so forth, you may lean on one direction over another. But there is some expectation that they're going to get from from markets or from bankers and other resources on the value of their company. Or they may have even opt in to get a third-party valuation for a fairness opinion from a, a valuation company or an investment bank. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what are the lessons that you have learned from the, from the M&A deals that you have done or were part of? Oof, boy, the ones I was part of, I just learned to work hard. <laughs> I just learned uh, to to work hard and trust nobody. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, boy, that was a while ago, and that that was such a good experience. I I like the corporate stuff. I, I feel like what draws me in is the fundamental basics of doing a small deal versus a really large deal are very very similar. Like they're still both driven by a lot of egos, and. Um, there's the common elements like you got to build trust. There's this way of working to come together and, and make the deal happen. Uh, and it takes this level of proactiveness to really make things successful uh, with bit large and size and scale There's more people involved. And in some ways it's better because there's a lot a higher level of, of um, I guess, expectation on performance and professionalism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people watching each other on a larger deal than a, a smaller deal. Um, but then you, you also see a lot of these mistakes that are done across the board where we, we kind of forget about a lot of these things. Like here's all these activities that need to happen once I buy the company to capture the value. And we're so focused on getting the deal done that we don't put this proactive effort to preparing for all these activities that need to happen to capture the value in the deal. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we're dealing with so many people that for us to successfully complete this acquisition, we're going to do this massive integration or change, and it's going to be the largest magnitude of change management any organization can go through. And being able to go through that process without pissing a bunch of people off and having them quit their jobs out of frustration because of so much change that's incurring that's really difficult to do because are you going to compromise and extend the timeline of your value creation plan or make this process more painful for longer duration? Or are you really going to be prepared to expedite on it and uh, rip the band-aid, so to speak, and get this change in and get it over with so people can settle and, and move on? Um, but can you also do that in a way that you create a strong communication platform that those involved in both sides understand why this deal is happening, why this deal is happening, what the rationale is, what the goals are, and give them a voice so they can speak up. They can speak up about the good and bad with the changes. Most of the time people, they don't like change, but as long as people are hearing them out about why they don't like change, they'll live with it. But if people feel they aren't getting hurt out, they get more frustrated until it gets bottled up too much and then just blows up. You know. I agree with you 100%. Hundred percent. And before, as we are approaching the ending part of the episode, like I don't want to miss this opportunity 
without asking you this question, I want to ask you like, is there anything you would like to share with the, with the entrepreneur person listening to this episode right now that I might not have asked you? I meet a lot of entrepreneurs in the early stage. It's always about how did you validate the problems you're solving? Mm -hmm. Did you go out and talk to people? But as you progress, I feel like the fundamental thing is a lot of times we get caught up in our agendas and the meetings we have and what we want to push. I think I've learned is that you really, really got to spend that proactive effort to get to know people and understand them and get in this mindset that you can proactively listen really try to put your mindset of being dumb, (laughs) assume what you know is wrong or you know nothing, whatever it takes to get in that mindset that you can truly listen to people, understand how they feel, why they feel that way, uh, understand what their goals and objectives are, and understand how you can align yourself to help them achieve their goals and objectives. And that has progressed myself and our business far more than anything else we've ever done. And I, I just, I, I feel like um, going back, it, it wasn't a practice that we had. And it's it's the one thing that when you really make that part of your discipline um, and put the, the people, the customers, your team first in that regard and really listen to them, I, it just it changes everything. It, it lets you develop yourself and your craft and ability to create value when you can quickly align and understand others and help them to reach what they're trying to do and generate this value. And it just comes back. It just comes right back. Like that's, um, I think that's the big lesson that made the biggest impact for myself. That, that was, that was really great. Like I, I learned a lesson from you as well. Like, it's kind of a constant reminder, um, give value to other people so that they can add value back to your business, whatever you're doing. I, I really agree with you there. And where can we learn more about you and your business if someone wants to get in touch with you? Sure. If anybody wants to learn anything M&A, we have a fantastic website, mascience.com. Tons of blogs, eBooks, and all information about different business lines we operate. And then um, myself, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. It's uh, Kisan, K-I-S-O-N Patel. And uh, happy to chop, talk shop anytime. Thank you so much, uh, Kisan, for coming to the pod. This really means a lot. My, my pleasure, Issue. Thank you very much for your time. I enjoyed this conversation. <laughs>